We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to be Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 50. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Perth, where he was in the house. He asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. But no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large milestone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life... Um, um, then with two hands to go into hell. When the fire never goes when the fire never goes out, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Thank you very much. There you go, so what a passage. And um, we're going to uh, be in this passage this week, um, but then for the next four weeks, we're going to do a kind of one off short series which um, we're, we're calling Sexuality, Gender and Singleness, God's, uh, Extending God's Welcome to All. We're going to do a four-week series on those topics. And um, we, just, we just felt that, you know, this culture has a lot to say about all these things. And often, as Christians, we don't know what to say or don't know how to even approach these topics well, or even what perhaps God might say about any of these things. And so what we've been doing as a team is just taking the, the last turn to, to read, to think, to pray, and uh, we've put together, or well, Stuart uh, Parker has put together this four-week series for us, which we will go through so it's next week. So I really want to encourage you to get involved in that. Um, we'll, life group sessions will be... We'll be talking about that. We've got a cafe theology where you can come and ask questions and throughout the four weeks you'll be able to put like, anonymous questions onto Slido and they'll all get captured in an evening where we can discuss those. And uh, I will tell you lots more about it 
next week, but I just wanna, wanted to just give you a heads up with this four week series coming on. We've just been sharing a little bit about that over the last few weeks. Um, and as you might have noticed, as we, as Lucy uh, read through that passage, like, wow, it's quite a challenging passage, isn't it? It's, um, it's a challenge. And as I was thinking about Christianity, I was kind of thinking about a circle, like one half of the circle and the second half of the circle. Um, one half of that circle is that God gave up everything, including his one and only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16, right? It is the grace of God that whoever, in order to be made right with God, you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is trust in the one that did everything, Jesus, who came and lived on this earth, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose again and ascended to his Father. Um, by doing all of those things, paid the price for our sin, that price that we could never pay, but yet the price that we accumulated through uh, the, the bad things we do, through the nature, through the people that we are, through the things that are done to us. And this is like the grace side of the circle, but there's also a gratitude side of the circle. And that is that um, we've been singing about that this morning, really, you know, what can I give? What, what can I offer? If I was going to offer the whole world, that wouldn't be enough. And the gratitude side is because God has done all of those amazing things, we then live for him. We serve him. We love him. And in God's kingdom, he, the world might tell us that if you want to receive, then you need to take, take, take. You need to have more. But God tells us that actually to be blessed and our abundance is to give, is to give more. And is to serve, is to not be the first actually, but actually to be the last, to be a servant of all. There's this gratitude side, and because of all that God has done on our grace side of the circle, we can show our gratitude, we can live in, and we can give up even our lives to uh, Paul says to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. We are able to let go and to give over actually many things of our lives, but all those who believe in Jesus, who have received his grace, can now um, give gratitude they can share. Now there's dangers in, if you only stick on one half of the circle. If you live just in the grace side of the circle, then it's easy to end up living your life like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I might as well live like anyone else in society because, hey, I'm saved by grace. And so I have a license to do whatever I like because hey, it's all God's grace and, and he's forgiven me and so why does it matter? You know, because he's forgiven me anyway. So I'll just... I'll carry on doing whatever I want to do, uh, living my life however I want to live, and then it doesn't matter. And actually, the, the, the gospel actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us self-control. It's one of the, um, the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Goodness. And, um, and James reminds us, doesn't he, that faith without works actually is, is dead. There is, we need to remember, actually, that grace leads us to live for God. And in fact, anyone who's truly understood the gospel, truly understood all that God has done for you and given you, would gladly give up their lives for him. Give up all that they have, their pride and their fun. <laughs> their, their, everything, you know, all that they are for him. The danger of living on the other side of the circle is that we become legalistic. Everything's about duty. 
suddenly, rather than out of love for and joy for all that God has given me, I do, I serve him and I do these things that I give. Instead, I feel like, oh, I need to give in order to receive his love. And so I do these things out of duty. And so I, I spend of myself, of my strength and my energy, not by the power of his spirit, but from my own works, my own good behavior. And that produces in me pride and, and arrogance and judgmentalism because I look down on others and oh, I can't believe they're not living like that. We've got all the things I'm doing. That's the, the bad side of living on that, on that side of the circle is that we end up trying to do things to please God. That, that circle is kind of best represented in the parable of the prodigal son or the, the lost sons. And you've got one son who he's given everything, everything in the kingdom, and yet he believes that there's more joy and more grace, more abundance to be found outside of the presence of his father. And so he runs away. He takes all his inheritance um, and he runs away and he squanders his life, living in all sorts of um, rebelliousness. And he, he abuses the grace, he abuses actually his position, the, his, his sonship in uh, the household. And then on the other side you've got the, the older brother, the, the brother who spends his life living in the household, living with his father, enjoying everything he has, but when he is challenged, he talks about how he's always been a slave to the father, and all these things he's done, the, the, the way he's worked on the, on, on the farm, whatever, in the household, has all been, is, he's seen it as slavery, and he's been working hard to try to please his father, and he complains, and he's, he's, he's upset when he eventually ends up forgiving the, one, the other one through, through grace. And it's uh, really easy for Christians to live on one or the other side of the circle. It's easy for, for churches to preach on one, you know, more often to one side than the other side. And it's really important that we actually hold both in balance. That because God has done all these things that we sing about, actually we choose to live for Him and we serve Him. We don't do that in order for Him to love us, but because He first loved us, we're able to love others. Because he forgave us, we're able to forgive us. Because he is generous with us, we're able to be generous with others. Because he has shown us grace and abundance and peace and joy and mercy and love, we're able to do all those things with others. This is the grace gratitude circle. Does that make sense? Good. And so this morning, um, it's, it's challenging because this. As we heard read out, the, Jesus is kind of tackling the kind of gratitude side of the circle. And he's like, and I think he wants to sort of challenge us a little bit. And so far in the book, in, in Mark's Gospel, we've heard all about who is Jesus. And so we hear about how he, he goes to the crowds, everyone's included. He heals, he, he, um, uh, he sees you know, he releases people from demon possession. He he does like amazing things. He talks to the crowds. He feeds the five thousand. He feeds the four thousand. And he, it's all about the crowds and external and everyone's included. And we get towards those amazing verses at the end of chapter eight, where Jesus says, "Who do you say I am?" And Peter had this amazing revelation: "You are the Messiah, the Son of." God and, and in, the, in the start of chapter 9 we see that Jesus is up a mountain and the glory of the Lord is shone out from him. This is a lot of transfiguration and um, you get this voice from heaven from God saying this is my son 
this is with him. This is amazing, like, this is Jesus. And that's what Mark's been answering. This question, who is Jesus? This is who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, the one who's come to bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. And now this second half of the book is all about what he's come to do. And so those very first few verses in verse 30, it says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want to... Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were, so he's like leaving the crowd, because he was teaching his disciples. Now, over these next few chapters, uh, chapters 9 and 10, Jesus basically takes a road trip, and this road trip is heading towards Jerusalem, and then chapters 11 to 16, the end of the book, is basically his final week on this earth. And um, this road trip, um, on this road trip, uh, as he goes through different places, he's passing through Galilee at the moment, and we'll, he highlights different places that they pass through in order to get to Jerusalem. Jesus now takes time to speak to his disciples, to prepare them for what will come and what he's calling them to do. In the first half of the book, it was all about the crowds, and the second half is about the disciples. In the first half, it was preaching to the many, and the second half is preparing the few. In the first half, it was healing through the message of the gospel. In the second half, it's about the suffering that comes to the messengers of the gospel. In the first half, he invites sinners to receive freely. In the second half, he invites those who have done so to surrender everything. Last week, we heard amazing testimonies about God's provision about how he cares, about how he gives, about how he provides. And this week, we're going to hear about how God calls and how it costs to follow him. And so I've called this morning's talk, The Cost of Following Jesus, I think. There we go, yeah. The Cost of Following Jesus. So, yeah, there you go. It's challenging, challenging stuff, but I wanted to remember the, our Grace Gratitude Circle that all of this comes actually because of his love, because of his grace, and because of his joy and peace. And because of that, we serve and we give and we love and we cast of sin, not in order to earn his love, but because he gives it graciously, freely, mercifully. And so therefore we serve him and we love him and we be obedient to him because he's gracious and he's merciful and we love him and so on. So let's dig into it then. So I've mentioned the first verse in a bit. He then goes on to say, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus is um, declaring what's going to happen in his final week. He's telling them that he's going to be killed, that he's going to be murdered, that he's going to be delivered into the hands of, um, of the Pharisees and the Romans, and the, but that that won't be the end. He'll be placed in a tomb, but it won't be the end. Three days later, he'll rise again. He is predicting exactly what's going to happen to him. And probably the disciples are thinking about Daniel 7, where you get this amazing prophecy of this king of the rural nations that Jesus is. But what they fail to remember, perhaps, is the suffering servant. These prophecies that we get through Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And so in verse 32, it says, they didn't understand what he meant. They were afraid to ask about it. And um, throughout then the rest of the passage, Jesus kind of tackles three key areas. Um, and the first one is about pride. 
So he's, one of the things that he's calling us to lay down, to give up, because of all he's done, one of the things he's calling us to give up is, is our pride. So verse 33, it says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what are you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, and he says, actually, anyone who wants to be the very... Um, who wants to, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he takes a child among them. And he actually, whoever welcomes one of these welcomes me. Actually, they don't even welcome me, they welcome God, the one who sent me. You know, um, just before this passage, Peter, James, and John had been up the mountain with Jesus, seeing his glory shine through. And the other nine had been trying to um, heal someone, and they couldn't do it. So it makes me think, oh, I wonder, oh, when they were arguing about who's the greatest, was Peter, Jacob, and John kind of saying, oh, if we were with you, we would have been able to do that. I can't believe you couldn't. Maybe they were doing, I don't know. Maybe they were uh, arguing about other things. Like, we, we, don't, we don't get that insight. You know, maybe we were in heaven. We don't get it now. Uh, we probably won't care about like, when we get there. But right now, we, we don't get it. And, um, but the reality is, is that actually there's pride, isn't there? There's that's full of pride. Hey, who's going to be the greatest? I want to be the greatest. You know, you know maybe it was, hey, of course, here, I would have been able to pray and they would have been healed. And we don't know. What we do know is that you can only be anything in God's kingdom if you're willing to lay down everything. And Jesus, he goes on and he, he talks about this child. And this child is... And all our children, they are always willing to assume the position, the lowest position in any household. They just, they're born, they come into the family, and they, they know their place. And Jesus kind of says, actually, in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, that our attitude should not be, hey, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the first, you know, actually be willing to assume the lowest position, willing to serve, to be a servant of all, to, to love. To receive insignificant people just like we receive, just like perhaps it was perceived that children were insignificant in those days. Even in verse 41, it talks about, hey, actually, if anyone gives a cup of water, then they will be rewarded. And you know, just even an insignificant act actually is much better than being full of pride and trying to be the best, you know, whatever. I wonder where, you know, when you think about your life, where where does pride come in for you? What, what things do you kind of get wasteful about? What are the things that you kind of, you know, oh, this is your workplace, I don't know, in your family life, in your home life, in your finances, I don't know, in your relationship, in your Christian life? Your theological knowledge or whatever else. Jesus is, he called his disciples to lay down their pride. And he says, if, you, if anyone wants to be the greatest, whoever wants to be the first must be the very last and a servant of all. Now he's, he is talking about himself ultimately, isn't he? But he is an example to us that he calls us to follow. There's a cost of following Jesus. It means laying down sometimes our pride. It means laying down our rights sometimes. Well, I demand this. No, I want that. Well, sometimes it just means letting go and laying it down. Well, I'm angry about this. And I want blood. 
by the person of Jesus, you've got love. You died on the cross to forgive your sins, so you can let go of your pride, you can hand that over. So he challenges the disciples on pride. He, he goes on, and he also challenges their attitude. So in verse um, 38, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving our demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. And I, I thought uh, that's really interesting, that John, who'd been with Jesus, Jesus... Um, the Son of God who's come to this earth to welcome all, to be inclusive to all, to reach out to, to everyone, to invite them in, to help them to know the kingdom, who, who fed those who were from the Israelite nation, but also he went into places where there, where there wasn't like kind of yeah, Jewish um, descendants and wants all people, all nations to come to him. Now you've got his followers, they see someone else doing something and John tells them to stop. He's like, hey, he tells them to stop. We told them to stop. Why did they tell them to stop? Because they weren't following us. And I wonder if Jesus was thinking, well, I never told them to follow you. I told them to follow me. And it's so easy sometimes, isn't it, for, for us to want others to follow. But like, us, hey, you should follow me. You should be part of my group and, and my clique and my clan. And actually, no, no, Jesus says, no, no, you, come on, let's, let's not be like that. Let's not be cliquey. Let's not be controlling. It's not all about us. It's so easy for denominations sometimes to be like that. You know, oh, this is, this is what we do. This is my group. Or even churches sometimes, church leaders, oh, this is my thing. This is your thing. When Jesus thinks of the people of God, he doesn't think of Hope Church or Commission or the Baptist Church or whatever, but every single believer around the whole world who puts their trust in him. And we're, it's a challenge to leaders, it's also a challenge though to every single one of us, that we're called to be inclusive and opening and welcoming. Um, and here we've got John. Oh, we saw someone driving out demons, you know, doing, doing God's kingdom on earth. We told them to stop, and he's all about us. And Jesus says, verse 39, don't stop him. Don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. The river's not against us, it's for us. He's like saying, now come on, let's encourage the work of God in Guildford. It's why we, we want to pray and bless for all the churches. There's lots of churches in Guildford. They're great. They're doing a great job. And we want to pray for them. We want to bless them and encourage them and support them. It's why we partner together. All those hope works like the Food Bank and CAP and uh, Matrix and Truth and Trust and all the, all the different things that go on in our community, we partner together with all the other churches, don't we, to support and fund and make sure that it's being blessed because we don't, it's not all about us, it's not all about me. And it's really important in our church, actually, isn't it, that we're making sure we're reaching out of our friendship groups and including everyone, making sure we're being welcoming to um, people from different demographics and different backgrounds and colours and relationship statuses and all things. It's really important that we do that and that we encourage those who are seeing God's hand on them and saying, hey, yeah, let's bless you, let's encourage you. Yeah, go for it. Run the race that God's called you to. In his name, we will bless what God is doing in this place. It's not all about who follows us, but it's about who follows Jesus. It's, so, it's like the older brother thinking again, isn't it? It's so easy to get to leaders. It's like pharisaical thinking. That's, that was an issue with Jesus, and now Jesus' very disciples are having issues with others. 
the monarchy out of the clan. Um, last thing, oh, I didn't click on. So that was attitude, it's kind of attitude um, that John had. The, the, the last kind of area um, is in kind of sin. And it says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if large millstones were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And then he goes on, if, you know, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Because it's better to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Because it's better to enter life crippled than for two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two, than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And so he, this is all about, it's, it's a challenge to cast off sin. Here's a good question. What's your favourite sin? What's your favourite sin? What's that thing? You just, you know, it's wrong. But you just love it. Jesus is like kind of saying, hey, even that surrenders me. Let's give up, let's cast it off. Let's cast these things off. We don't do it in order to earn God's love. We do it because he loves us. Because he's forgiven us. Because he's for us. And because of that, we're called to let it go. And so, um, the only thing that costs more than following Jesus that comes through really clearly in this passage is not following Jesus. And that's quite a weighty word. And it might be today that you don't know Jesus yet. And I believe that Jesus, these words that Jesus speaks, he does with love. And um, there's a guy called um, Charles Spurgeon, and he gives this quote, he says, He is the true lover of men, who faithfully warns them concerning the woe that awaits the impenitent. While he who paints the miseries of hell as though they were but trivial, is seeking to murder men's souls under the pretext of friendship. Jesus loves you so much that he is willing to talk about what it means to not follow him. Jesus loves you so much that he talks more about hell than the whole of the Old Testament put together. Jesus loves you so much that he would rather you be maimed than to go into hell with both your hands. There's, um, I think it came up a few weeks ago, what good is it to gain the whole world yeah, forfeit your soul? Because Jesus loves you, he takes the time to talk about this really important issue of um, our reconciliation, our restoration with our Heavenly Father and the consequences when we're not restored to him. And so he uses, or in this passage, Mark pulls out four different pictures. So he talks about millstone around the neck, and Roman and Greek rioters would murder people in this way. They would, you know, they would um, go around in mafia style, and they would tie around your neck on a really heavy um, on a ball or whatever, and then chuck you in the river, and you would drown. And we're called 
not to play act following Jesus while compromising with sin and leading others astray. No, instead, we're called to trust him, cast off sin, be obedient to him because of what he has called us to, because he loves us. Um, in, this, in the verse 42, it says, whoever causes even an insignificant person like a child to sin is actually better off dead. We're not called to do that. We're called to be people who live our lives trusting Jesus, following him, being obedient to him, and being an example to others and not leading them astray. And that means we don't, we don't in, our, in the way that we act, act out a dead, kind of duty-bound religious faith. We, act, we, we live out the gospel. And so we know that God's forgiven and he loves and he's gracious to us, and so therefore we act in those ways. And so we serve others and we, we do shed sin, we do that, even our favourite ones. We do that because of all that he's done, not but out of duty, but out of love, because he always done for us. There's another um, picture, so he's used a picture of the millstone around the neck. Another picture he uses like, is hell, and he, he, the, the word used is Gehenna. He quotes from Isaiah and says, in verse 48, the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. And in Joshua, in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Kings, and in Isaiah, King Ahaz and King Manasseh, basically what they did was they built shrines to Molech. And Molech was like a pagan god. And what they did was they encouraged the people of God, the Israelites, to sacrifice their children to these pagan gods. And obviously that's horrendous. And so um, God, he deals with that and... Uh, what happens is that, in fact, it was so bad that the priests would bang drums to drown out the sounds of the screaming children. And so God, he sends the Babylonians um, to bring judgment onto the people of God. And so they take him out into exile. The Babylonians slaughtered the wicked people, and they also piled up their bodies in this valley, this valley of Gehenna. And um, it's a place of horror, it's a place of torture, it's a place of divine judgment. And Jesus uses this picture um, for, and he uses those words in all this sin. Hey, if your hand causes you, this is how strongly he encourages us to deal with sin. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Because that would be better than to go to two hands into this place, into a place that's like, this is like a metaphorical place, it's a place that looks like this. The third picture he uses is the whole maiming. So it's better, he's kind of saying it's better to have one eye, one foot, one hand, than your whole body in hell. And that, that comes through, I think, quite clearly. And then the last picture is about salted by the fire, verse 49. Everyone will be salted by the fire. And, um, but actually, because what would happen is the Old Testament priests, what they would do is when there was like a sacrifice to be had, a burnt offering, they would salt the sacrifice before uh, doing the burnt offering. And Jesus warns that everyone will be salted by the fire. It's a warning. And how do you escape that sacrifice that you have to make in your own life is by putting your trust and believing in a different sacrifice. In the sacrifice of Jesus. When he died on the cross, himself gave up his life for you so that all your sins can be forgiven. And as we do that, we are salted in a different way, salted through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew. And he talks about actually as we walk around, we should be seasoned with salt. Not overbearing, put too much salt in the food and it's overpowering, you can't eat, it's disgusting. 
not too little because you, you can't even taste it, it looks no different to the rest of the world, but season the soul so that we might be a difference in our communities. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do. Salt is good, it is good, but if it loses its saltiness, he says, how can it be made salty again? No, instead, come on, we need to be people to have salt among ourselves and be at peace with one another. That's how it is. Ultimately, all of this, this grace, gratitude, cycle, all of this that Jesus is talking about is everything that he's already done. Jesus was the one who actually, he's the one that laid down his pride. He laid down all the riches of heaven. He laid down everything that he had to come to this earth, to be born as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, in a manger, to grow up, to live, to ultimately to die on the cross, naked, in front of his followers, and to rise on the tomb again. He was the one who, rather than coming to a small Jewish group, though he did, wasn't controlling and cliquing, but came for all, that interacted with all, that loved all, that met with the lepers and the sinners and the prostitutes and everyone who was marginalised and all who, who would come to meet him. He was the one that did all of these things. He was the one who is last in the kingdom of God, is servant to all, but in, but in all of that, he ends up being the firstborn of all creation when he is crowned in glory. He is the one that offered himself to be cut, beaten, whipped, crucified on our behalf so that we don't have to be salted by the fire and the flames, but we can now live for him. What's more costlier than following Jesus? Not following him at all. And it's, often it's really easy for us to remember John 3.16, God so loved the world, gave his one and his son, whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. It's absolutely true, that's the gospel, that's grace. We also have to remember 1 John 3.16, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We need to live for him because, he, because he's called us. This is the grace cycle, grace, gratitude, cycle. How's that feel? This is what we're called to. It's cost following Jesus. Cost your everything. And it'd be the very best decision that you'll ever make. I know it is for me. It is. It's the best decision I've ever made. And it cost me my whole life. That's wonderful. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, you might have been a Christian for loads and loads of years. You might have only just become a Christian. You might not be a Christian yet. We encourage you to keep putting your trust in Jesus, to keep being obedient to him, to keep following him, to keep serving him, to keep laying down your pride, laying down your bad attitude, laying down your sin, and saying, God, I am yours, and I'm with you, and I'm for you, and I trust you, and I will be obedient to you, and I will love you. Amen? Let's get the band back up. And why don't you stand with me? I'd like us to pray, and we're going to sing, we're going to give our lives back to him. We're going to just see. Yeah. Do that. So, just before the band starts to play, why don't you just take a moment, because the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive. He is just. He is good. And I just want to encourage you to take a moment in your heart to just pray to him. To tell him again that you love him. To say sorry for those things that you've done wrong. And to receive his forgiveness. He is faithful to forgive you. 
as we come and confess. Because he loves you, and he's for you, and he's committed to you. He's more committed to you than even yourself. And so, yeah, take a moment to do that, and then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to worship again. Help us, Lord God, to, to live for you. 
Lord, we, we hear the words of Jesus, this son whom you love. And Lord, as a church, we're saying we're listening. We're listening. We're trusting. We're following. Help us, Lord. Give us strength today, I pray. Holy Spirit, you fill every single one in this room. Fill us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Help us to know that we are forgiven and loved and cherished and adored. And in turn, give us strength, Lord God, to live for you every moment of our lives, to be patient Lord, with those who annoy us and so on and so forth. Thank you, Jesus. You are our great high priest who's given up your life. Lord, you've done it all. You've set an amazing example for us and you've called us to follow you. And Lord, we are saying yes. We're following you, Jesus. We're going to be to you. We love you, Lord. Finish your spirit up, great. In your heavy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.